This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Thank you for everyone that has tuned into 52 Weeks of Hustle so far. We're getting closer to the one-year anniversary. I've had a lot of fun sitting down with industry leaders and certainly hope it has been beneficial. In addition, thank you for all the support you have provided on the book that was recently published, Hustle Your Way to Success in Sports Sales. It's a playbook to being elite in the sports business industry. Whether you're looking to get in this business or you already are, you're looking to continue to grow your career, I believe this book can be beneficial for you. Paperback, ebook, and audiobook are now available. Check out 52weeksofhustle.com. Thank you in advance and enjoy this week's episode. Welcome to 52 Weeks of Hustle presented by Event Dynamic. Event Dynamic specializes in maximizing revenue and increasing attendance. I'm Travis Apple and I'll be your host of this podcast. I've been fortunate to spend my entire career in the sports sales industry and I wanted the opportunity to give back, to give back to those individuals that want to get in this business or for those individuals that are in this business that want to continue to excel at an elite level. For those of you who know me, hustle has always been important, hence the name Each week, I'm going to have the opportunity to sit down with industry professionals to talk about their career path, what it takes to be successful, and ultimately a few key takeaways for you to apply to your everyday. Without further ado, our guest this week. Many people will recognize his name as he is typically all over social media, and I actually think he's getting paid as a LinkedIn spokesman. More importantly, this individual has a great career path and journey through several different leagues and has overcome hurdles along the way. Most importantly, the guest, a great friend of mine, has always been a great sounding board for my career. Our next guest is the Vice President and Head of Business Development for Sports, Live Events, and Entertainment at Clear, Justin Gurney. Justin, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jeff. Justin, always a pleasure speaking with you. I'm excited to have our listeners learn about your career path and really have you, how you have found ways to be successful. And you and I have had a lot of conversations over the years as we started discussing this podcast We talked about the value of being vulnerable in this business, and you've made it clear to me that you want to talk about the challenging situations that you've had to overcome being in this business and in life. So first and foremost, thank you for taking the time and for being transparent and vulnerable. And so several years ago, Justin, you were diagnosed with colitis. How did that come about? And what were some of the symptoms you were living with on a daily basis? Yeah, Travis, um, you know, thanks for having me. Um, whether it be a physical disease like an ulcerative colitis or Crohn's disease or mental health or anything else, we all have some things going on in our lives. And uh, it's interesting that it's one of those things that until you're diagnosed with something or you run into one of those issues, you don't realize how many other people also deal with the same stuff. It's almost like we've been taught since day one to separate work and life. Uh, I actually mentioned LinkedIn. I am not being paid by LinkedIn at all. Prove it. In terms of social media, (laughs) I actually am off of 
Twitter, uh, all link, all social media besides LinkedIn. But but um, to to the point around you, you see people posting stuff. You see people in these amazing jobs. That's my dream job. Oh my gosh, I'd love to be doing this. I'd love to be doing that. Well, you know, the disease that I was diagnosed with, that is a, it's a, it affects your gut. And, and my job at the time, dream job working for the NBA league office was to travel uh, every single day, wake up early mornings, you know, fly to New York, go to, go to other cities, be in long car rides without access to, to knowing where I'm going to be, how I'm going to feel in that particular week, that minute, that moment, and have something that's so embarrassing that I was afraid to, to share it with anybody and let anybody know how badly it was affecting me and impacting me. And it, it was tough. And it was around that time that uh, I realized that everybody is going through something. And when I started to finally open up about it, the amount of people, the number of people that I found that would open up back to me about having something similar, whether it be Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis or a mental health issue going on or just baggage going on at work, at home, I'm sorry, every single day that was impacting them from doing their jobs. Amazing, amazing. So, so vulnerability absolutely for me opened up the door to trust, which is the key to every opening up every other door to being successful, I think in this industry or any other industry. And certainly to your point in your personal life as well. And, you know, as you mentioned, Justin, unfortunately in this world, there are a lot of diseases that affect people in a variety of ways, both physical and mental and both personally and professionally. And so what is your advice to everyone listening on how to overcome the struggles and still strive both personally and professionally? My advice is exactly what we just talked about. Be vulnerable. You know, the, the, the more, uh, and I learned this from Mike Robbins, by the way, M Mike Robbins, absolutely tremendous author. Uh, I have several of his books uh, back here, how to build a championship team, um, the, the, the power of appreciation. He has been a huge influence on, on me and my career. I was lucky enough to hear him speak live and sit through a bunch of his teachings and and connect with him over the phone several more times. But he'd, he'd get the example of the toughest relationship you have in the office. The way to the way to overcome that is to lower the iceberg, lower the water on the iceberg, show more of yourself. It's not to try to get that person to to like you or to or to tell you more stuff or or it's, it's about just lower it a little bit further, be a little bit more vulnerable, a little bit more vulnerable, a little bit more vulnerable. And then you come to find that people are people and we all have issues. And then you find some common ground and negative relationships just don't help anybody. Uh, they can only hurt. So 
the goal is for a positive relationship with every single person you work with, no matter how difficult someone may or may not be. No, absolutely. And, and certainly, Justin, appreciate the vulnerability that you were sharing. And, you know, now, now taking it back, let's go back a few years now to your early days. You're growing up in Shaker Heights, the suburb of Cleveland, Ohio. Your dad was a lawyer. Both of your brothers ended up becoming a lawyer. So I assume growing up, you were going to become a lawyer. What, what ultimately changed and what did you really want to be growing up? So I, my idol growing up was Bobby the Brain Heenan who fashioned himself as a broadcast journalist. This was back when WWE was WWF. Yeah. And I thought that that would be the coolest job ever. I wanted to be a broadcast journalist. I remember watching Hulkster versus Warrior, WrestleMania 6. I'm like, oh man, if I could be the guy in the booth calling this right now, a Jesse DeVentura or someone like that, that, that's actually the route that I wanted to go. So I took journalism in uh, high school. Uh, I, I did a lot of uh, extracurriculars in high school. I wasn't a bad student. wasn't the greatest student ever. Was, was more like a social butterfly uh, back in high school. But to see what my father went through, um, not, that, not that his job was the worst job in the world, he's a very successful lawyer, but to see the stress on his face and on him every single day, uh, it, it made it clear to me that that's not the route I wanted to go. Now, why my brothers chose to go that route, maybe they're not as perceptive as I was. Yeah, they weren't paying attention. Yeah, but it did not look to me like that was, I, I, I love the legal mind. I love the way that legal minds operate there. It's phenomenal to me. It just was not for me, at least that career path. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so after graduating high school there in Shaker Heights, you end up going to Indiana University to become a Hoosier and you go on to study sports marketing and management. So during their time there, you know, you end up interning in minor league baseball, the Lake County captain. So how was that experience for you? That experience was amazing, but one step back, one of the reasons why I went to Indiana University was because they had a great journalism school. So I was still pursuing that career path of journalism. And I lucked into this intro to sport marketing class. And the intro to journalism class was so boring. And the intro to sport marketing class was so interesting that I switched majors my freshman year. Then as part of being a sport marketing major, in order to graduate, you had to have multiple internships. So one of the summers I heard about this minor league team, at this time it was Lake County Professional Baseball. They weren't even named the Lake County Captains yet. Uh, had been purchased by uh, a local group uh, not too far from where I grew up. So that summer I, I just walked into their office. There were two people working there at the time. And I said, I'd love to intern for you this summer for free for college credit. And they, you know, a couple of, couple of conversations and they said, okay, sure. No problem. The experience was unbelievable. I mean, it was, you're talking about a team that was moving a minor league baseball team, moving from Columbus, Georgia to Eastlake, Ohio. The team hadn't been named yet. A ticket hadn't been sold yet. I was their third or fourth hire 
on the team. So I really got a chance to see what it was like watching uh, an expansion team start from the very, very beginning. And as you probably are well aware from interning and all the jobs that you've done, especially in minor league sports, you do everything. So you really get your hands dirty and it gives you a great grasp on what the business is like and, and what, and how the, how the sports aspect blends in with the business aspect and whether or not it's something that's for you or not long hours, late nights, dirty jobs. Yeah. You'll quickly learn if that's something for you. And I think the other advice is, is, you know, just like you talked about how you got it, you weren't willing to do what other people were going to do. You walked in and asked for a job, you know, think about how many people are like, oh, I'll just submit my resume and then hope and pray, you know, as a hiring manager, you're looking for people to differentiate yourself. Like, don't be afraid to do that. If you're on the sales end and you're going to a business park, go door to door in the business park, find a way to get a job done. And that's exactly what I did. They didn't post an internship position. I found out where their offices were, where they were building a stadium. I walked in, I knocked on the door. I said, is this Lake County professional baseball? They said, yeah. I said, I'm here to apply for an internship. Yeah, absolutely. And so you graduate, Justin, now you're ready for the real world and you end up landing an entry level sales job with the Chicago Bulls. You know, so how, how was that, you know, one, how did it come about and how was that experience for you? the experience was absolutely amazing. I didn't think I wanted to be in sales until I got that experience at the Bulls. And quite frankly, I didn't fully know what I was getting myself into. I'll tell you, I remember Dave Dowd, who was my first boss, uh, he interviewed me. And one of the questions that he asked was, what do you think about cold calling? And my answer was, yeah, you know, I'd rather... I'd rather not, doesn't, it's not all that fun sounding to me. Um, and then he said, you realize that you're applying for a job that's basically all cold calling. And I said, I love cold calling. I think cold calling is amazing. And this is the job for me. And he laughed and we had a good laugh about it. And the truth is, I really didn't know what I was applying for. Right. I went through 40 years of sports marketing at Indiana University thinking I was going to work in sports, but not really ever having a full understanding that sports is a business with all these different verticals within it. And, and, and sales is one of them. Yeah. And, and at the time was, there was no 52 weeks of hustle, you know, a shameless plug. There was not no podcast like this. So you would have known what that business was about. That's correct. <laughs> you come before me <laughs> and again, had that been the case, there might not be a you. So, yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, <laughs> you know, I, I, uh, I know a story we often laugh about is one of our mentors, Chris Zaber, who was at the time after, after, after spending a year at the bulls, he was with the new Orleans Hornets. He had booked you a flight to interview with them, but then you end up canceling because you ended up taking a job. Uh, and so I guess, tell us your story behind that. Yeah, so this is uh, what not to do example. <laughs> That's um, great advice. Nine-month nine internship, uh, sales internship with the Chicago Bulls. So this is back in 2004. The team started out 0-9, uh, baby Bulls. They ended up becoming a pretty decent team that year, Kirk Heinrich and Ben Gordon and uh, Andres Nocioni and, and other guys. Ended up making the playoffs that year. But during the time that I was there, they were just absolutely terrible. And 
I was one of the tops in all the different sales categories, whether it be phone calls made, outreaches, uh, sales, sales revenue, as in the top three or four in, in every category. And at the end of the day, uh, at the end of the nine months, they chose to go in a different direction and, and hire two other people out of our class of 14 people. So I, I was disheartened by that, but I went, one of the best pieces of advice I ever got was from my mom. Remember during that time, I was so upset about it. Uh, she said, don't ever burn any bridges, which I would now evolve to say, maintain and progress relationships at all costs, no, no matter what. So yep. I went in the next day as frustrated as I was, and I had a chance to sit down with uh, Steve Shanwald, who's the executive vice president of the Bulls at the time, and also my boss, Dave Dowd, and, and shared with them, I, I think that this industry is for me. And I like their support in trying to interview, trying to set up openings with other teams. So they set up openings for me with lots of different teams. Uh, one of them being the Atlanta Hawks, one of them being the New Orleans Hornets. And I kind of went on a world, uh, a, a U.S. tour, if you will. I, I flew back to Cleveland. I interviewed with my hometown Cavaliers. I flew down to Atlanta. I interviewed with the Hawks. Uh, then I flew out to California. I interviewed with a few different teams out there. Took a little side trip to Vegas. It was only four hours. Uh, and it, it was... Three teams being out there. That was just a personal trip. That was just a little bit of a personal trip. But uh, the Atlanta Hawks made me an offer during this whole time. The final trip on my journey was going to be to New Orleans to visit the Hornets. And uh, I was in Vegas and I was tired from all the traveling. And I chose to call Chris and tell him I'm accepting this position with the Atlanta Hawks. And I didn't want to waste his time in, uh, on a trip to New Orleans. So that's a, that seems about the same story I've heard, which, you know, to your point, advice that somewhat could have burned a bridge. So fast forward, you take the job in Atlanta with the Atlanta Hawks and Thrashers and lo and behold, Chris Zaber becomes a, a member of Atlanta and you join, you know, a couple 52 weeks of hustle gas, Lou DePauli and Brendan Donahue with the Atlanta spirit there. Well, there's so, so before the Chris part comes the Brendan Donahue part, Brendan um, comes in as our new vice president of ticket sales and me being the, you know, the, the schmoozer that I am. Hi, Brendan. It's nice to meet you. I'm Justin. And he looks at me, he says, I, I know who you are. Hi, you know, how do you know who I am, Brendan? He said, because you cost me $400 on a plane ticket to New Orleans. I hope you can sell. <laughs> that was my first interaction with Brendan. You're getting a draw out of that commission from New Orleans. I'm like, great. My new boss comes in and he already hates me. And by the way, uh, his wife, Patty, was the person who did all the booking of the flights and, and whatnot in New Orleans at the time. So I had, I had messed up a relationship with both Brendan and Patty in Atlanta before they even got to Atlanta. I'm like, oh, this, this could not be worse. And then, of course, birds of a feather flock together. Brendan brings in his boy, Chris Zaber, from New Orleans to be my head of group sales. Same thing. Introduce myself. He goes, I know you. You owe me 
I hope you can sell. And it was weird. They used the exact same word. I don't know if they, or, or language, I don't know if they planned it out or not, but um, I was pretty scared straight uh, from the moment both of them came in to be my bosses in Atlanta, but it, it worked out pretty well. I, I overcame them with kindness. Eventually they liked me and they've now hired me multiple times. So I, I think I'm in the clear, but it's definitely an example of what not to do. There it is. That's all the advice is. And to your point, you end up spending a couple years as a group sales team member there. And so what would you say you learned most from your experience, kind of the, your first couple years in the business, both within the Bulls and then with the Atlanta Hawks and Thrashers and Phillips Arena? There's, there's several things. I, I, I list out three major ones. Um, one is if you're doing the exact same thing that the person sitting next to you is doing, then you're going to get the same results as that person. So I, uh, easy example, Chicago Bulls, we have a set of leads that we've been given. And if I make the same 80 call minimum that we were being asked to make at the time as those two people sitting next to me, then I could expect the same result. But uh, the power of uh, improving 1% every single day or doing a little bit more every single day, it adds up 20 more calls today, 40 more calls. It's 40 more calls by tomorrow. It's a hundred more outreaches by the end of the week, by the end of the nine months, it's, you know, multiply that by whatever variable. So that that's one way to stand out is by doing more. Another way to, to, uh, have success is by being creative and, and doing things a little bit differently. So I remember one day at the Bulls uh, specifically, instead of continuing to call the same people that have not returned my call five, six, seven times, I wrote handwritten notes and sent them collateral in the mail. It took me you know, two afternoons or whatever it was to actually send that out to them. But it was different. It was a handwritten note and it was different than the emails and the follow-ups that, that they were doing. So do, do more, uh, do it differently. And, and, and I guess the third kind of combines the two. I hear a lot of... We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
people say work smart, not hard, work smart, not hard. It's both. Yes. You can do both. It's not one or the other work hard and smart. And so that's kind of where learning how to, this is just as social media was picking up, learning how to use social media to more quickly get to the decision makers and find warm introductions was really to, to my benefit. Yeah, no, absolutely. To your point, it's, it's differentiating yourself and it is like, what, what does work harder or smarter mean? Imagine if you combine them both together, now you're going to be crushing it. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Again, we're here on 52 Weeks of Hustle. The guest today, Justin Gurney, Vice President, Head of Business Development for Sports, Live Events, and Entertainment at Clear. So, Justin, your next step is an interesting one, and I'm sure you're questioned quite a bit about it when you took that role. After spending almost three years in the NBA on the team side, you move out to Orange County in L.A. and become the general manager of the Orange County Flyers, which was part of the Golden Baseball League and Minor League and Independent Baseball. So what was some advice you received from your mentors on why you should take that role as opposed to maybe staying in professional sports? Uh, The advice I received from my mentors at the time was don't take that role. Every person. That was kind of a softball question. I knew that answer. So every, every person I spoke with besides one person said that that's, you don't want to get out of major league sports that, um, once you're out, it's really hard to get back in. And, and there was another opportunity in front of me at the time to go to a, a different basketball team. So it's not like they were not like anybody at the Hawks, Chris, uh, or, or anybody else, Brendan, were, were stunting my career growth in any way, shape or form. They wanted me to take the position within the NBA. So they wanted me to grow my career and were and were rooting for me to do so, but they want they they didn't think going the minor league route was right. Fortunately for me, Lou DePauli, uh, who was coincidentally my Teambo rep, Team Marketing Business Operations NBA rep at the Chicago Bulls, I got a chance to meet him when I was there, and kept in touch with him knew he was taking the position at the Atlanta Hawks as the chief marketing officer. And one of the reasons why I took the job at the Hawks was because Steve Shanwald at the Bulls said, Bernie Mullen and Lou DePauli are going to Atlanta. That's the spot to go if you want a career in this industry. They will help you get there. So I scheduled a one-on-one with Lou to ask him the same question I was asking everybody is, which job should I take? And Lou said, hands down the minor league job. He said, you're going to learn more in one year there than you will at seven at any of these other NBA teams. And I took his advice and moved out to Orange County, California, dragged my uh, then fiance, now wife at the time with me and spent two years. And that's the only uh, winning team 
I've ever worked for. First, I was assistant general manager, uh, just overseeing ticket sales and business. And then the second year, I was the general manager of the team and we won the championship. Yeah, I was going to say, when you became the, the, the GM after you're overseeing sales, sponsorship, operations, merchandise, in-game entertainment, kind of the whole nine, and you go on to win a Golden Baseball League championship and finally get yourself a ring, find, you know, you, you work for a winning team. And so I always ask all of our guests on 52 Weeks also when they have that experience, I've seen your ring a few times. Do you, do you wear it on a consistent basis? I, I don't wear any jewelry, um, but I, I do have it right here. You have it right there. Looking sharp. Looking sharp. Yeah. As Gurney on one side, GM on the other. It's it's probably made completely out of fake everything because we we ran out of money uh, <laughs> and and eventually became defunct. But it was a fun, fun job. I got to work with my uncle. I got to experience things. I got to work with Gary Carter, the late great Gary Carter was yeah. our manager on the field. Daryl Evans, uh most home runs of anybody not in the Hall of Fame, if you're looking for a trivia question. Nice trivia question. Who was also on base when Hank Aaron hit his record-breaking home run. So I got to work with some pretty cool people. I got to get uh, pretty close to the uh, – the. I got to scratch the itch of wondering what it would be like being on the sports – uh, the the player side, whether it be an agent or something along those lines, that's something that I, I hear a lot from students and up and comers like, oh, yeah, I'll use sales. I'll get my foot in the door and, and then transition over to, to working with players. I got the opportunity to do that, albeit at a minor league level. And what I found is that I was just more passionate about the business part of it. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed the challenge of trying to get this unknown team unknown name unknown brand to to sell out games and my most prideful days were when we had a crowd of 3000 people some way somehow uh it, it was that type of stuff was more fun for me I'm glad you brought it back to the business side because there for a while I thought we were on like an episode of Sporkle with all these these baseball trivia questions I, you know when it comes to minor league sports only only John Bishop currently at at, at the NBA could beat me I think that's that's probably true well you know, after spending a few years in Orange County you decide to reunite with some of your mentors both Lou DePauli and Chris Zaber you know with the Pittsburgh Pirates I that's where ultimately you and I started working together the first time around and certainly some great times and, and probably some good topics for an after hour podcast but more importantly we we're able to surround ourselves with a lot of talent we set a lot of team records when they're there and again when the team wasn't very good but we used to talk all the time about the value of recruiting and not only just recruiting in general, but being able to recruit to a city, uh, to different cities, which is, you know, in Pittsburgh, I think we both would admit very underrated city, but, but also then onboarding, training and developing and growing the next best talent. And so what advice would you give to the listeners that are in leadership or want to get into leadership on the value of recruiting and training and development? Well, so there, there's several things. One is uh, t- taking one quick step back the way I made my way to Pittsburgh was because I had kept in great contact and built great relationships with Chris Zaber and with Lou DePauli during my time at the Orange County Flyers. Lou, when he gave me that advice, part of our conversation was don't worry about getting back into the big leagues. You'll always have me as a reference. 
And Lou was one of the first people I called when I felt like it was time to get back into the big leagues, if you will. And his answer was, if you can wait two or three months, I just took this position as chief marketing officer at the Pittsburgh Pirates and would love to bring you with me. And oh, by the way, I'm also hiring Chris Aber to be (laughs) our senior director of ticket sales. So while I was going to a new place, I was going to work for the same people. One of them, you know, had had basically threatened my job over $400 just uh, right. know, several couple, couple of years, years later. Prior. So again, like that was, that was the linchpin. I, I had won them over, but um, that was Lou recruiting. Like that, that was Lou. Lou did a great job of recruiting me. He didn't just recruit me. He, he recruited my family, he recruited my wife. Uh, yep. Amanda had a great job at the Anaheim Angels at the time. Her career was starting to boom, starting to blossom as well. And uh, he flew us both in and sold her on Pittsburgh of all places. I'm a Browns fan. I'm from Cleveland. I grew up hating Pittsburgh and and Lou, Lou really recruited me. And then my first job there starting the first inside sales program was to recruit 16 uh, ticket sellers to start within the next month. And it was interesting. I had a lot of assumptions about recruiting back then. I want, I wanted diversity. I wanted people in terms of uh, different coming from different places. There, there was a lot of thought behind if somebody was willing to pick up and move to the city to, to go and work there in inside sales where they're making nine, 10, $11 an hour, even though I made five seventy five an hour at the bulls, 625 and the new year hit and we, uh, <laughs> and, and there was a minimum wage raise. Um, and I didn't have the luxury of really making too many decisions, uh, because the timing was just so, so, so quick. Right. And so I ended up hiring, um, half the people were from Pittsburgh and half the people weren't. And, my top eight sellers, seven of them were Pittsburgh locals. It was completely opposite my hypothesis of who would have the most success. But then to your point around talent, that doesn't mean that those were the most talented people. Those were clearly talented people, yes, but some of them were folks that came in with networks, they were able to leverage them and and do their thing and and did a very nice job of it. So the ability to decipher between talent and and luck uh, when it comes into sports and and sales and hard work and and all of those, there's a lot of variables that that come into play. Uh, Talent wins the day. Talent wins the day. So the ability to spot talent, but then as a leader, it's your responsibility to then take that raw talent and cultivate it. With 16 people, you've got to decide how you're going to spend your time. One of the best pieces of advice I got was from Brendan, who said, uh, once once you identify who your top eight, six, four most talented people are, start spending your time unfairly with those four people. It's not a knock on the other 12. It's just a time management exercise on how you're going to grow your talent pool 
to get the most and maximize the most out of them. So that was, that was a great leadership lesson from Brendan in terms of how to spend my time uh, developing talent. Absolutely. And I think as far as developing talent, you and I have talked a lot about that. That's been some of our best memories in our career of, of looking at Pittsburgh and really being able to turn things around, not only set records, but also the talent that's grown from there. So now when you go to career fairs, there's a lot of people that have come from there that that learned um, and that we were able to grow. But, you know, again, value of mentorship. So, you know, after several years at the Pirates, you, you leave Pittsburgh and once again, join one of your mentors this time around, Brendan Donahue, who again, you know, we talk about the $400 fee. He's now at the NBA league office in team Bo and team marketing business operations. And, you know, our consistent listeners have certainly heard a lot about team Bo, So I won't dive into all the details of, of what you've done there. And you spent over eight years there, but However, during your time at Teambo, I feel like you really built a brand for yourself, which is not only within the NBA, but in general in this business, which is stuck. And that is the social guru of Gurney, you know, Guru Gurney. You went bold with why sales team members should really evolve and utilize technology, specifically LinkedIn. So very innovative on your part, but also probably a bit risky because you went all in. Walk the listeners through that and, you know, the, the value that you saw with uh, an innovation and in being bold with what you truly felt. The journey with LinkedIn was an interesting one. There was an argument internally within Teambo over who was the best seller in all of sports and urged for the NBA. Remember this includes at the time D league, now G league, WNBA, NBA. And there was a seller named Alan Schlesinger who was kind of this, this like anomaly. Somehow he was putting up ridiculous numbers, double, triple, quadruple what the next closest person not only in his team, but in the league was doing. And so when I went and saw him in action and, and saw how he sold, he never picked up the phone. He, he literally was on LinkedIn, just going from person to person. This is before LinkedIn sales navigator existed. So I said, all right, one example, probably an anomaly this isn't how I was taught at all how to sell, you know, what if you combine this work with good, you know, phone call and, and, and I'll come back to that in a second. But as I started making my rounds, D-League teams, NBA teams, I started to find a unicorn at, at not at every team, but at a lot of teams and this LinkedIn approach to selling was more normalized than we had realized. It, it was it was a little wild, wild west at the time. Yep. I remember having a conversation with one seller, coincidentally in New Orleans, who was the top seller. And I asked him, so what's your, what's your secret? What's your secret sauce, if you will, or something along those lines? And his response was, once I make my minimum 100 calls a day, which I try to get done by 12, I then go on LinkedIn and start selling. That always stuck with me. So I identified that there was this groundswell of 
a different way to sell, a different way to, to do what we do. And it needed some polishing around it. It needed, it really needed the acceptance of the managers of, of that style and, and the knowledge of the, of the sales leaders at that time to accept it because that's not how they came up. And there was this in sports, this, this is the way we did it. This is the way we did it. This is the way we did it. This is the proven way it gets done, but th that wasn't evolving at all. And so I really, I really thought I found something special. I developed a great relationship with the people at LinkedIn as well. As luck would have it, Amy Brooks went to, who is the uh, head of Teambo uh, after Chris Granger, who went to uh, school with Mike Darizan. Mike Darizan was the vice president of sales solutions for LinkedIn we convinced her to bring Mike in to speak at a ticket sales workshop at the NBA. I gave the presentation right before his uh, on B2B selling and had a bunch of LinkedIn social selling type examples. I got to meet Mike there and things just rolled from there. So Mike introduced me to uh, Annie Stankovich and Stephanie Goodman on the LinkedIn side of the business. Their offices were right down the street at the Empire State Building. I got to know them really well. And I, I just honed in on it. Yep. Like intellectual curiosity is one thing that you've probably heard. Your viewers have probably heard or listeners have heard on this intellectual curiosity. I was so locked in on learning everything that was LinkedIn, how it was built, the algorithms, the, the, the connections, what a warm introduction was versus a cold outreach, why an in-mail versus a connection, like everything. Yep. And I made myself the expert in that particular field within our industry. And teams started slowly calling Amy and, and Brendan, who I reported to directly and saying, we'd love to have Justin come visit and take us through social selling training. Yep. And it did become my brand for a while. And I loved that it was because it was something new and innovative and different that I could wrap my arms around and, and teach and bring this industry forward into the 21st century a little bit. Yeah, to your point, I mean, this business is a lot about evolving and being open to learning and open to new ideas and how you can internalize them and make them your own and, you know, build your own. And so you, you did a, a tremendous job, obviously spent over eight years at Teambo. And, you know, as, as you're working up your, your way up, you decided it was the right time to go back to the team side with the New Jersey Devils and Prudential Center. And so, you know, after being back on the team side and, and obviously with Teambo, you're close to the team, but you're now immersing yourself in the team side, having a staff. What would you say from your time there in New Jersey, what were some of the biggest differences you saw from when you were on the team side, you know, really about eight years prior to that? What, what, what was most, uh, what was most interesting to me was my, the, the difference that one age and, and, and just time experience gave me from situation to situation. So 
Whereas when we were with the Pirates, Travis, I was always thinking, what's the next step? What's the next step? What's the next step? This move was so much, had so much more, for lack of a better word, baggage with it. I had to make the right choice for my wife, my two daughters now. Yep. Um, so much more went, went into it. What we were leaving behind, what, what we were gaining, what we were getting. Um, I'd like to use the word maturity, but, but maybe that's a little bit uh, of a, a little bit out there. But what I found was a lot of, a lot of what made me, you know, humbly speaking, better then than when we were in Pittsburgh was less about the nuts and bolts of sales and more about the psychology of people, the sociology, understanding people, people management, understanding leadership, leadership techniques. But one of the things you think about at at the NBA league office is you get to go around from team to team and you learn all the best practices at those teams, but you also get to sit down with people who have become NBA team presidents and present at workshops on topics that are meant to stretch the limits. And in addition to that, have the front row to hear speakers like, Adam Grant or Kobe Bryant or on a regular basis, almost David Stern and Adam Silver. And the list can go on and on and on and on. And what I found was I was taking all these different learnings from all these different speakers and all these different great leaders and molding it together to try to create my own leadership style, leadership technique. And it was with the autonomy to do that, that Jake Reynolds and Scott O'Neill and Hugh Weber were providing me, that is what made that particular position appealing also for a company known for its culture. Right. I'm a very culture-based person, value-based person, at least I, I thought so. So um, I knew that we were on the, I knew it was the right place for me based on, based on going back to vulnerability, a place where I could be vulnerable, a place where I could focus on building trust and then autonomy with accountability took off. Yeah. And you know, we always talk about this business. The most important thing is the people and you, you hit the nail on the head, right? A great organization with HBSE, like a lot of great people to surround yourself with and learn from. And, you know, now just recently you you've transitioned to the vendor side of the business with clear. And so give the listeners a glimpse of, of what are you doing? What are you doing right now? So th this is exciting for first, Again, from a career pathing perspective, I want to go back to the importance of maintaining and building relationships along the way. And notice I'm not saying networking. I think networking gets thrown around at the college level and it gets thrown out, thrown around a lot. It's about building, maintaining and building relationships. Uh, so Jerome Pickett was chief security officer at the NBA league office. I had pretty much no interaction with Jerome during my time at the NBA, uh, nor Jerome me, but Jerome got recruited away from the NBA league office. I'm talking chief security officer, like coming off of the bubble, right? Yep. And 
And he called me and asked me to come here and be his head of his first hire, go out on the line as, as his first big hire. And he did that because he asked around a lot of people that he was friendly with and comfortable with at the NBA league office. I'm sure Brendan gave me a great review. I'm sure Eric Hutcherson, who was head of human resources at the NBA league office, gave him my name. I mean, I, I don't know who did for sure. Amy Brooks, possibly yep. any of yep. them, but, but had any of them said anything negative about me, I probably wouldn't be in this position uh, today. So, so that's number one. And that's kind of consistent across all of the moves that I've made. They've all yeah, it's been about building your brand. And I had, I didn't have to interview really. I mean, I did have to interview with some people, of course you always, you always do, but like you're pretty much through the process at that point. Right. Uh, at least not having to dump your resume on on people's desks and spray and pray and, and hope that they call you. And I didn't go looking for this job. It, it, it came looking for me. Yep. And so uh, this role is really interesting. Uh, it, it Clear is a technology. Clear is a security company. Clear is a biometric identity uh, platform who's in the middle of evolving from its core business that started the hardest place you could possibly start to try to drive frictionless experience, the airport. Airports, yeah. All places, right? So, but somehow it's stuck. You got the TSA line, you got the clear lane, and like somehow they, they did a phenomenal job of building a brand as a frictionless brand and we're, we're moving its way now into the entertainment space, live events, collegiate, the combination of that and then the purpose of, of the moment of being able to bring people back to live sports, something that we, we got to grow up with and, and has been my life and my career for 39 years now it is... And, and, and to see a year of that stripped away from our world and Clear's purpose is to, or one of them is to bring people back, bring that back. It, it was just too, too much purpose in it for me to not do it. I, on top of that, um, I got a great, great, left on great terms with both Jake Reynolds and Scott O'Neill made sure that I worked just as hard leaving as I did coming in and, and, and kept those relationships intact. And now what I'm working on over 18 years of being in this industry, it doesn't feel like work. I'm calling on my friends, sending emails and notes to my friends who are sitting in the C-suite at various teams across yeah. all of sports and entertainment and asking them to hear me out on a solution that I believe is the best way for them to get fans back in the building the safest way possible, which is Clear's Health Pass product. And so it's, it's just been fun six weeks so far, an absolute whirlwind, very different from the team side. But now I've gotten to be on the team side, the league side, and now vendor slash sponsor side, which gives me a different window into uh, the sports marketing uh, ecosystem, if you will. 
Well, I know all of our listeners will continue to see the updates, you know, certainly via LinkedIn, but, you know, Clear is definitely making a splash and, you know, we're excited to see where that goes for, for not only you, but also the, the, the brand and the company. And Justin, this has been great. It, you know, a great career to your point. You've seen the side on the team side, the league side, the vendor and the sponsor space, but to close it out, I like to put our guests on the hustle hot seat. So you ready for this? Yes. All right, Justin, what's your most used emoji? Uh, the thumbs up emoji. Here you are. Hi, sweetheart. It, speaking of thumbs up, you, you gave the daughter the, uh, which one was that? That was a five. That that was a, hey, I'm on a call right now. But that's the world. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. Uh, it, is the, it is the thumbs up emoji though. The thumbs up. I started using the pound, the fist more. Yeah. I, to be honest, I've never used an emoji. Not that that probably is going to surprise you, but, uh. I hope I never get asked that question because I'm still used. wearing suits and ties every day too. Why don't you, you know, and you don't have, even have a Facebook account. You know, your, your LinkedIn is your MO in, in your brand. Shirt and tie, I think's mine. Yeah. The only problem is you're stuck at home and nobody can see you. I mean, it's perfect. I, you're seeing it right now. And, and some of the people that are tuning in on YouTube, but uh, you know, speaking of style, what's the worst style choice you've ever made? Uh, I, Matt Goodman at, at, at uh, NYCFC is going to laugh about this one, but uh, I chose to wear some uh, crisscross style baggy 1990s jeans to an NBA workshop just to kind of prove the point that, you know, it's not about what you wear. It's about, you know, what you do and how you are. But that, that was a bad decision. I, I had a lot of people making fun of me. Um, Ryan Piku loved that day. It, it was it was great. But listen, I just can't get myself into this this tight pants, tight shirt, schmedium generation. I'm I'm gonna skip right over it. And the pandemic's been been helpful for me in that regard. Eventually, crisscross will come back, so you'll you'll be good. That's my feeling. And about you'll be fashion. on the forefront of it. That's my feeling about fashion. Is it cyclical? Like it'll always come back around. You just have to wait it out. So yeah, I, as soon as, as soon as baggy jeans and hoodies come back, I, I'm going to be laughing. Yep, exactly. If you could hang out with any cartoon character, who would you choose and why? I don't know if this officially qualifies as a cartoon character, but Superman. Okay. Uh, yeah, he no had a cartoon back in the day. Cartoons, comic. He's an icon. He's from Cleveland. I'm from Cleveland. Uh, we both have, you know, super abilities. He, his are a, a little bit more, you know. Now you're stretching. <laughs> no, no, but in, in all seriousness, I grew up a big Superman fan. Nice, uh, nice. Big Superman fan. I'm, I'm currently watching the new Superman and Lois on the CW. So anything Superman, I will always watch and, and emulate. And, and Superman's a Clevelander. I'm a Clevelander. And one day we will experience a Brown Super Bowl. One day. Well, to close it out, Justin, what are three key takeaways you'd give every listener to be in your shoes one day? Don't wait for the opportunity to present itself to you. Go and find the opportunity would be number one. So if you go back to me knocking on that door to get that internship at the Lake County Captains, 
there are more people like you and like me that will that are willing to pay pay it forward right now and quite frankly executives in sports also enjoy talking about their career paths and how they've gotten there so my advice to a lot of college students and people trying to break into this industry is don't wait for a job to get posted you have the ability right now to go on linkedin and find and connect with the president of your favorite team of all time and ask for an informational interview. That's going to separate you from all those other resumes that, that are coming through Teamwork Online and, and other places. So whatever the example is, whether it be finding a job or, or, or whatever, go attack the opportunity that, that is of interest to you. So that's definitely number one. Um, number two, uh, innovation is, is a word that's getting tossed around a lot right now, yep. but it's important to, to push the limits. It's important to push your own limits. Innovation can take a lot of different forms. It can take a form of, of you yourself being an innovator and being different. It can take the form of identifying what somebody else is doing and turning it into a movement, uh, if you will, like, like we kind of did with LinkedIn. So, so whether you use the word innovation or intellectual curiosity or challenging the status quo, uh, they're all kind of synonyms in my opinion, but, but embrace it, embrace it. And and to do that, you also have to embrace uh, uncertainty. And this would be lesson number three for me, is uncertainty is a given in the sports world. Chris used to say the one constant in this industry is change. And that's always stuck with me. It, that ranges from lockouts to ownership changes to uh what we're going through now with the, with the pandemic, it, that all of that, it's like every three or four years in sports, there's some sort of big tsunami that hits uh, a natural disaster in new Orleans that relocates a team, for example. So being comfortable, being uncomfortable is a saying, but it is so important. And if, if I could give a bonus fourth one, Travis, I guess we'll let that slide. It, it would be uh, treat people as, as people. Uh, everybody has baggage. I, I give so much credit to what uh, Eric Houston and, and we're all a little crazy are, are doing. I'd encourage, I'd encourage everybody to check that out on, on uh, LinkedIn and, and other sites because the concept behind it is that we all have something going on in our lives and to try to compartmentalize it is just going to lead to uh, sickness. It's going to lead to some. It's going to lead to it manifesting himself itself in some type of sickness. And it's so much better living in a world and an environment where you can be vulnerable and and be yourself. And to do that, start by treating other people, regardless of title as people recognizing when they have bags under their eyes, when they're tired, when something else might be going on and when you can pick up for them so that they can, they'll, they'll return the favor. You throw out good in this universe, 
it'll come back around at some point. Absolutely. Good things happen to good people. And, and I couldn't agree more, you know, treat people the right way, you know, to your point on some of the other takeaways, find a way to get it done. Don't wait around, you know, push the envelope, be innovative and continue to push those limits. And, you know, it is to, to this conversation today, vulnerability, embrace the uncertainty, find a way to power through it and you'll be successful. So Justin, thank you so much. I certainly appreciate your time, your expertise, and certainly our friendship. Thank you, Travis. Love you, brother. Again, this is Travis Apple. Thank you for listening to 52 Weeks of Hustle presented by Event Dynamic. Please be sure to follow the podcast and watch on YouTube. We're also on Twitter and Instagram, so follow us at 52 Weeks of Hustle. We'll be back with next week with another industry leader. Have a great week. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.